0: I think the smaller sort of mid-sized contractors, it's hard to know yet, you know, will they have the kind of budgets to, to kind of put these these systems into place or will they sort of be the sort of the downstream, you know, benefactors from some of these large GCs that are doing these things. I think there's a little bit of both happening right now.
1: Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Kevin Suhu, Director of Construction and Engineering at Ignite. With 15 plus years of experience in the context space, Kevin is responsible for supporting Ignite's newly formed construction and engineering vertical and its growth efforts within AEC. He also has a history of leading technology and innovation at ENR ranked specialty trade contractors and context startups. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So I always love to hear everybody's origin story of how they got into the construction industry.
0: Yeah. Oh, boy. Where do we start? Uh, (laughs) It's been a bit of a journey, 15 years, uh, but it's been a a good journey and, and there's still more to be done. But yeah, it started, what, 2006 or so. I had just come out of the global manufacturing space and sort of construction was entering into this kind of similar, like, oh, we're going digital. We need to do more out in the operational space, up uh, level up our IT. And I found my way to an MEP contractor over here in the, in the Bay Area, California, where they needed IT help. But they at the same time, they also said, look, we really wanna figure out what the strategy is around technology, how can we get it you know, into the field? A, a lot of it was because of their customers, right? Bay Area, you're talking about doing projects for a lot of these tech companies. You know, which kind of be unnamed, but you know we got to show up with tech. We just can't be rolling in job sites, pencil and paper when you know we're building data centers and things like that. So it was an interesting start where uh, MEP contractors said, we got to level up, um, bring in somebody with that background which I had. And then from there was, it was, it was really interesting. We've had uh, you know before construction technology was a thing, you know, there was a lot, a few of us that were really trying to push that early on. Um, And the challenge then was like, there wasn't much that was specifically made for AEC or let alone a subcontractor at the time. So much of that was shoehorning in certain things that were maybe built for other industries. And uh, we made some of that work. And at the same time, you know, iPads came out, that was a thing. And, and just at the same time, you know, uh, a little little company called PlanGrid came out and it was really interesting we got we found a way to make iPads work we started with you know five users way back in the beginning and, and you know when i left we were probably 100 120 users uh, all in on PlanGrid so in some of these early plays like PlanGrid um, we got to see a little bit of Procore a little bit of some of these other solutions that we know about uh, was all part of sort of our strategy you know let's let's test out some of these startups uh, these early stage products Uh, because we're hungry to see what they can do for us, how we can get more productivity out of our team, uh, sort of smooth over some of these communication frustrations, you know, with the office and field especially. So yeah, that's kind of where I've been. And then uh, through some of these early stage uh, startups that we were testing, you know, one in particular, Rumbix was one that came along. um, And, you know, a lot of what they were doing around productivity analytics was was really resonating with us. And what had happened at that point was, you know, had had done my run, I think, on the construction side, and then that's where an opening uh, came up with Rubix to help, you know, help drive some of their sales and some of the go-to market, and it was a nice transition where I then tra- transitioned out from that customer mindset into more of that seller mindset. But it was nice because I could identify with, you know, walking in those shoes, saying, "Hey, you know, I understand we've got some challenges." especially for what you know, we were doing at that time with Rumbix, which is we need to get better with your budget and your analytics and how your labor is getting burned. Um, so it was a nice transition uh, from, you know, moving out of that con- contractor space and then into sort of that solution or software space. And then right after that was an- another company, Dato, um, where, you know, I think you had Jake on, they had Walker on in the past episode, you know, Google yeah. for a construction project. And, and there I was uh, early on with them, you know, help build up their sales and marketing and customer success function. And then now I'm with Ignite and I'm new there uh, about five weeks, uh, four weeks in. So it's been an interesting ride so
1: far. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, let's go back to those kind of early days for a, a second, do a little detour. The, the contact yeah. report was cool days. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you think is one of the kind of the main lessons that you learned from that time period?
0: I think the big one was the people, you know, it's a cliche people process technology, but back in the 20, 2006, 2010 kind of frame timeframe, the people side was something where, you know, it would go off, they'd go find a solution, they they deploy, it, and then it would just suck because it would make someone's life harder. And that's a big learning lesson that we had in the early days, which is we got to really look at, you know, the field and how their workflow is happening and what will change when you start to introduce at the time, new technology. A lot of it's not so new these days, but you know, where we're really changing the way people are working and to a point of like, will they actually, will it actually help them uh, at the end of their day, go home a little bit earlier, not have to work, you know, or, you know, get on, get on, have the overtime or things of that nature. And it was really a big, big focus around the people side of things, right? we're changing um, the way how work gets done. Uh, you know, we're trying to pr- preach this kind of work-life balance as best as we can. And so the people side and knowing, hey, what's going to happen? Can we involve them early on and not sort of have this over the fence mentality of here's some new stuff, go run with it was, was a big learning lesson for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, coming in from the manufacturing going into the construction industry, what kind of overlap do you see there and, and maybe lessons that we can pull from manufacturing? Yeah, where it's like a circle, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's got the DFMA um, and prefab and, and that whole manufacturing mentality, which is, yeah, I spent 10 years in that space. So, you know, the, the lean principles, Six Sigma, Kanban, some of these that we see now in, in the construction space was all things that I had gone through, you know, in the manufacturing side. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, yeah, we've got, the same problems, which is waste and wasted time and rework and doing things over that we shouldn't have had to done. And so there's, there is a huge overlap, as you point out with manufacturing and the lessons learned there. And also, you know, manufacturing sort of digital, digital disruption, if you want to call it that, you know, back in those early 2000s. Um, yeah, construction is, is very much living through that. Now, I, I wouldn't say we're the beginnings of that we're probably in the middle somewhere of that, but, you know, lean construction and all those things are certainly things that I've seen, uh, in, in my past life for sure.
1: Yeah. It's funny how those kind of trend lines pop up in different industries and, and, you know, they, they follow similar trajectories. I think construction has the the added benefit of being able to look at manufacturing and, and see what worked well and even what didn't work well and how they can improve it and what they need to do to, to tweak it for this industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, supply chain being a big function of that too. And that, that's also being considered now. So it, it, it's, it's very holistic uh, from sort of that construction perspective. It's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, really want to spend the, the bulk of our time focusing in on, on data and different trends there that you're seeing from your vantage point. Uh, what do you think is, is one of the bigger trends surrounding data that you've noticed so far this year?
0: Data, yeah, you know, explosion might be an understatement, but (laughs) I think there's been a couple of, of course, coming out of last year in the pandemic and sort of this force, if you will, to remote work for a lot of folks. But data is continuing to grow. You know, a lot of VDC folks I was talking to through last year, they kept busy. There was no slowdown for a lot of these (laughs) shops where they were still bidding, they were still designing, they were still trying to fill their, you know, backlog. And so data kept on growing. And now the challenge was how do I get access to, to these you know, Revit files, these you know, point cloud uh, scans? How do we you know, continue to collaborate in a, in a way where we're not sitting in a coordination meeting, we're not sitting in an office? Um, so, you know, so I think to one point data is continuing to grow. And then there was a report, right? 2,400 plus what startups in the AEC space. You know, <laughs> there's data coming in from all different angles and all different sort of solutions, right? You've got, of course, your big platforms and the ProCore and and autodesk the world, but then there's, there's 2,400 other players that are all yeah. trying to get a piece of that. So, you know, trying to imagine <clears throat> these contractors now, like a jigsaw puzzle, if you will, of, yeah, I've got data. I've got a lot of it. I've got it spread out now, you know, in multiple silos. And I think there's a really interesting movement here, right? And I think a little had talked about in a, your, one of your past episodes, sort of the common data environment, you know, mm-hmm. I might call it an info hub, but yeah, we really need to think about sort of, you know, maybe the cliches, the digital foundation or digital infrastructure for which all these things can start to really flow through. And I think the model in this whole we gotta have, we're gonna have a lot of data, we need to have sort of some single kind of pane window, pane through the windows, like that Salesforce model where they've had you know, a huge ecosystem of, of partners and apps um, that really gave them an edge. And I think you know, Procore, I think a lot of credit to Procore and their, and their ambitions on building that ecosystem, very much that model. And even where I am at Ignite now, I think we have a really good, really good narrative around the integrations that Ignite has, where, yeah, it's not strictly about folders and files. But it is about all these other data and data streams that are coming in that have to flow through and go from one system to another. Um, and I think there's just this mentality of like, we've got a lot, we've got too much. We've got PMs probably sifting through hundreds of RFIs a week. Um, and, they're, and, and if they're saying they're keeping up, it's because they're working 20 hour days, right? No, that's, right. The, that's, the, that's the part that's not sustainable. Um, but I think to where we see the industry You know, building these ecosystems of partners, you know, this interoperability, what Nathan is doing, and and I know Lillian and Walker are part of the CPC, but yeah, I love, I love that what's happening there. And it's really the question is, where's the ultimate push going to come from? There's a lot of activity there. Is it going to be the the contractors and customers that are going to provide that ultimate push? Or is it the vendors, like the ProCores and Autodesk's? Um, that are, are, are gonna be there. So it'll be an interesting dynamic, but yeah, there's, there's some really good things happening right now, I think. Data is everywhere. We need to really start to think about, yeah, how do we get a single pane of glass, if you will, to all that.
1: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTi.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you mentioned it in that answer there, that there's so much data coming at construction projects that realistically uh, how do you really keep up with it on any sort of practical level and should you really even try
0: uh, yeah and you know, there's there's that and then there's also paper still out there right you know part of uh, some of the origin stories and i think jake olsen had said in sort of our days at data was you know, were on job sites you know you think about the gcs that are the most advanced of the most advanced right 5d and drones and doggles yeah. And at the end of the day, their partners are still on paper. Uh, <laughs> so you know, maybe it's sort of the note. There's also maybe a secondary message, which is the benefit of all this digitalization is not equally distributed. And how do we bring that last 15%, 20%, 25% uh, up so that we can get that you know complete end-to-end, let's get it all digitized. Um, and so we can, we can, we can see it. We can analyze it. We can, you know, reduce errors in the field. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So how should the industry view data? What's a, what's a healthy view for construction around data? Oh boy.
0: What's a healthy view of <laughs> data? I think it means different things to different contractors. Um, this will be a tough one. I think we'll buy ping pong around, but uh, you know, I've seen, you know, we've got, the top, you know, let's call the top tier con- GCs, right? They've got analytics, and <laughs> end, they've got huge systems in place, where they're collecting everything. Um, you know, another contractor uh, that I know uh, very well, you know, they've got this, you know, this got this ambitious project to to really start to look at their entire history of all their past projects. You know, we they normally track it already, just to the notion of just cost cost control and progress tracking, but you know, having all that collected and analyzed and now you know, some manner of a machine learning algorithm algorithmic sort of calculation on risk. So I think in those cases, data is like your edge. They're mm-hmm. gonna figure out, oh, okay, when we start seeing you know, this kind of activity at 20, 25% of way into the project, we're able to forecast and sort of predict risk much more accurately than waiting for the traditional 80% of the project to be done. Um, So I think there's, there's a real opportunity to, to sort of use the data to to clearly have a competitive advantage, uh, but also save their margins, right? You know, we, we know rework and (laughs) it's a bad, big problem and it eats up (laughs) a lot of margins. And, you know, if we can get a little bit more efficient there, I think the whole industry uh, will benefit the data. I think for those in those examples, it'll be a clear, you know, competitive advantage if they can sort of, you know analyze and predict risk and control risk in a much more effective way. I think the smaller sort of mid-sized contractors, it's hard to know yet, you know, will they have the kind of budgets to, to kind of put these, these systems into place, or will they sort of be the sort of the downstream, you know, benefactors from some of these large GCs that are doing these things. I think there's a little bit of both happening right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that there's, there's kind of two mindsets. It seems to around data. One is, collect everything even if you have no idea how you're going to use it just collect it and then maybe someday when you figure out what you want to use that data for it'll be there and so you have this huge data lake that you can draw from and there's some pros to that i I get that argument and then you have the others of like let's just collect the data that we need to get the job done and not worry about the rest because we're not using it right now anyway so who cares and there's some (laughs) validity to to that as well too Uh, and i think it's the, the interesting thing that people have to kind of think through with construction is what is the plan for the data? How are you going to actually use it? So you can have this huge data lake, but if you're not really doing anything with that data or you have no plan around your data, you're just collecting random pieces of information. What good is it really doing you? Yeah, I think I'm a big believer in, in have the plan and, and then work from there.
0: Yeah, I think the problem too is sort of that's driving that storage has become cheap. You know, probably 10 years ago and storage was not, was expensive, there would probably be more discipline right right? around, (laughs) oh man, we just can't have terabytes and terabytes of data because this is going to put a big dent in our IT budget. But yeah, I think cost of storage is is a two-edged sword. It's a good thing because it's cheap, but now it's like people have, let's call less discipline around, yeah, I just want to collect everything. You know, IBM is sort of that big data story that, that they would spend, you know, they have the, 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 v, the fourth V, you know, volume variety, and, and uh, uh, there's volume variety, I can't remember the third V, but IBM had this fourth V to describe big data, which is veracity, right, what, the, what is the data, what is the data that's important to us, we don't know, we're just going to collect. Um, and so there, there, is, there, there is an interesting dilemma now, yeah, what is important, what is not, and I think to maybe, you know, possibly if we don't jump too far ahead is the other R, word which is ransomware now it's like okay i just lost all my data i know i'm collecting a lot of it what do i actually need to recover and we can maybe hold that for a second uh, segue to the next topic
1: yeah it's a perfect segue so with all this data being collected right now what is the what's protection of that data really look like for construction industry how should they be starting to kind of wrap their minds around that
0: that's a big one right we've got news all the time with the colonial, um, the other meat processing plant. The name, the name escapes me, but there is ransomware is a problem, and it AEC is not immune to it. There is no more of this security through obscurity situation, right? That might have been true three, four, five years ago, but you know we see studies um, around sort of that you know AEC is being targeted more and more. Interestingly, you know, sort of ignite, and what we're trying to do with our customer base, and we've got you know several thousands of customers, is to also you know, introspectively look at incidences of ransomware, and we'll be preparing a report here soon. But there is some very objective, you know, indicators that AEC, especially sort of, you know, as we look at some of the data that we have in analyst reports, are that AEC is being disproportionately targeted um, for these things right why in one sense we hackers kind of know now you know there's no tolerance for schedule slip right we've already got tight schedules and wiping out you know your entire project document set all your drawings and everything for a day or two or three or a week is just not going to happen they can't tolerate that they're going to pay and that's an unfortunate reality of sort of this industry but i think to one degree we need to all have this wake-up call right which is you know, it's coming for you one way or another. A lot of CIOs that I still keep in contact with, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so, you know, then it's like, okay, what is your recovery strategy? What is your resiliency strategy to say, we're gonna get hit, it's inevitable at some point. You know, also you have what we call a big attack surface. You've got your, not alone, not only your office staff, you've got your field staff. And then on a project, you probably Got 20 or more other trade partners that are also in and out of your environment. So you've really got a lot of ways to sort of be exposed here, just the nature of the industry. Um, but really going back to that, we cannot tolerate schedule delays already. We already have enough, you know, it's like, what is it, is it materials? It's labor and it's, 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 uh, it's equipment, right? those are kind of the three big factors for any given project. And I think ransomware is probably a fourth legitimate factor now in managing and you know navigating your project. Um, so it's a big deal. And I think we gotta wake up and say, look, yeah, there's gotta be ways we gotta think about, again, not collecting everything as we just kind of talked about, like, because to some degree, or at least if you're gonna collect everything, know what you need to get on day one versus day three, right? in your recovery, if you're in a recovery situation.
1: Do you feel indestructible? Well, do you? Then MEP Force 2021 is the event for you. It is the gathering place for industry thought leaders throughout MEP to come together and learn the new technology trends in prefabrication and more. The best part is it's all industry led and driven, meaning real people from the trades will be leading the almost 80 breakout sessions. So you'll be getting real life practical examples and use cases to take back and implement right away. This year we'll be having some in-person networking events in select cities so sign up today and we just may be coming to your city go over to MEPforce.com to claim your edge today and use promo code BTG to get your discounted ticket looking forward to seeing all my innovators at MEP force mm-hmm. yeah definitely so you know how should the construction industry well, what should they do in response to all these ransomware attacks lately? You know, I'm, I'm here on the East Coast, so I felt the pain of the <laughs> Colonial Pipeline. It seems like those are popping up just more and more and more all the time. There's a couple that have come up in the news since then. Well, what should the response be for the industry?
0: I think maybe be prepared, right? So it's, again, not, it's not a question of if, it's going to be when. So then it's like, all right, what, can we, what do we need to recover on day one? So some of these things, you know, without necessarily saying, not calling out a specific technology per se, which is, you know, which is your, what is your internal controls? What is things that are active or current data versus things that are archivable, right? We, we might call it retention policies, but having some sort of, again, without being specific around the technology, but, you know, some, something around a retention policy. Hey, do we, you know, move things that are seven years old off into some other secondary storage? Why? Because we've probably already, you know, passed our sort of litigation phase. You know, we don't need to have to worry about holding onto that project date anymore. But then it's like, you're holding everything because it, it doesn't cost you a lot probably, but then now you lost everything. And if your recovery time is now one whole week because you just you need to recover the whole world versus, Oh, I just need these, you know, top 20 folders. There's mm-hmm. a big difference in retention policy. I think as one strategy is something everyone needs to be be mindful of. It's a C-suite topic too, right? Uh, Especially for AEC firms, you know, the CFO is about managing risks, but sort of the risk to the whole business too. I just lost my entire document set for all my projects. You know, we can't tolerate that. Um, But if, and when we do get hit, what are we recovering first off? How do we make sure our project teams, our field teams, our trade partners are still able to operate? Um, Because that's how we make money. On the project and that's the kind of first thing that should be sort of considered is what's important right are we need, do we need to restore all of our accounting files yeah, arguably it's important but what's more important is it so we can keep running the business or do we need to re, you know whatever what do we need to recover at the end of the day you know three thousand customers aec customers that we've got and sort of that when i said introspective you know look there was a really interesting data point around aec of all of our Let's say 18,000 total customers. You know the percentage of, of, of AEC customers make up half of the ransom ransomware incidences that we've seen in the last six months. So there is a very interesting data point, objectively speaking, where it's like AEC is is absolutely being disproportionately targeted, almost at a factor of two X. So it is a matter, again, going back to what was said, which is it's, a, it's, a, it's not a if, it's a when. I think we really need to you know, think about sort of the different systems we have in place. And, and again, we've got some really great systems the Procores and Autodesk's of the world. As we think about, okay, if we get hit, how are we gonna recover? Who's gonna, who's gonna be there to help us actually get back up and running? That's something that I think for us at Ignite, we'd really love to, to make sure you know, our customers, especially, but anyone that's in the
1: market to, to really understand there's certain pieces of information that you should care about more and you should have that going into it, uh, have that kind of hierarchy in your mind so that you know, what if and when it, it, the attack happens, you, you go, okay, these are the pieces that we're going for first. And this is what we need to do to, to bring it back up.
0: Employee awareness is another one. Again, we, I, I mentioned the attack surface, which is you've got not only your office people, but your people in the field, your trade partners, but you know, having some, that we do it for safety, right? We have a safety uh, toolbox talks we have a huge focus around safety i think there's probably a good argument here it's like well can we start to weave in some you know i'm not talking about heavy three-day you know training sessions but if we're making toolbox talks and safety part of the culture because we want to have a successful project right well then i think maybe we ought to think about weaving in some manner of this you know employee training employee awareness how to look for some of these suspects uh emails or you know some of these emails that might look a little bit weird but you know pick up the phone call pick up the phone and just call that person like did you send me this invoice I mean, <laughs> it might be as simple you know because we have so much technology today right but it might be as simple as calling that person be like is this a real request for an invoice or do you did you really meant to th- send me this tracking number that you, I'm trying to <laughs> wonder where my right. boiler is um, it could be that simple but you know if we think about safety on job sites and a, a, as a daily topic maybe at some point we need to also consider especially those that have computers at least you know some awareness of of, of what ransomware the impact risk of it but also some signs to to look out for
1: yeah so you're talking about it there a little bit but what kind of contingency plans or or processes should people have in place in case and and when the the worst happens then
0: yeah uh, you know i think we're looping it back to that retention sort of idea um be ready to, you know, if you're, if you're not having that conversations but you know, ask the IT side of the house, you know, have we, have we tested, have we tested, uh, you know, do we do regular testing of our recovery? What's our backups um, look like? This, this is more of an IT, I think, sort of oriented topic, but it's important to keep the IT guys involved because, again, it's not a, it's not a win, it's an if. Um, but what is the strategy? It's like, yeah, we need to be prepared. Have we restored um, a, a folder just to test where, if we're doing tape backup, for example, which a lot of guys are still doing tape backup. How are you storing your tapes? Uh, are you rotating your tapes? And some of these, I, I would call fundamental sort of IT things, but yeah, what is the strategy here? It's, it's making sure your IT guys are in lockstep, IT guys and girls, they have the backups ready to go. They've tested it, um, but to the retention strategy, uh, know what is needed on day one. Um, because it's gonna happen and you're gonna to need to restore. And if you don't have your your backups in line, you don't have it tested out and ahead of time, you could be in for a lot of hurt. The wake up calls here. It's like, are you gonna respond in kind or are you just gonna get whacked? And then now you're just you're done with the project.
1: Yeah. So given all the, the data security concerns, is having a, a single source of truth or the you know the common data environment that we started with, is that a potential cause for concern because it would make uh, accessing that data easier because you get everything's contained right there? I
0: think there is an argument that with a single source of data, uh, a single source of truth, that you can have consistent security policies, right? Or that you can make sure, you know, we talk about those 2,400 startups, you know, how many different logins do you have? And then of those different logins, let's, let's say 12 or 13 or 14, for example, mm-hmm. how many of those different logins might you have different, security roles or security access roles. And if you're thinking about like I'm the IT you know leader for this organization, how many different silos and how many different security profiles might I have to worry about for a given user? Where then if we think about sort of flipping that model, which is common data environment or the info hub, single source of truth now, there is a real legitimate opportunity to say, look, we need to we we can apply a consistent security policy to all of our data, right? PM should only be able to do this much. They shouldn't be able to access, you know, folders in these other areas, um, mm-hmm. you know, field staff similarly, right? We, sh- we should not be allowing them to be deleting things potentially. Uh, and so having a single sort of control point um, does have its advantages rather than leaving things fragmented or into different silos because yeah, we just you just lose track of all those different security profiles um, but you know, with one 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 sort of again info hub and one security policy, there there is a great benefit, I think, to saying, look, this is, needs to happen, because now you've got people with different access roles. They're accessing things they shouldn't. You know, people are accessing contract data which they pro- may not sh- should be able to, to see. And so, why did that happen? Because we we got lost because we had too many different silos and too many different systems running around.
1: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, love that. I'm all for breaking down uh, silos and getting that consistency across the board. I think that that's, that's huge.
0: We, we see more happening. We see more happening. Yeah, that, that, more to come there, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's flash forward a, a decade. What do you think is going to be the, the biggest change That happens in the construction industry. Oh man!
0: I mean, you know, I think the big, the big one is just the supply and demand of labor. Um, So we are going to see an acceleration of robotics of some manner. I don't think completely removing the labor element, but it's it's a have to have, right? You can't continue to build at the rate we're building and knowing that you know the skilled labor force is not growing in lockstep with demand. So um, I think the big sort of factor that I see. Is you know the need for robotics to a degree. We've already seen you know Spot right, the robot robot dog, and some of our other customers are starting to use like robotic layout, and we start to see more of that efficiency coming through a box. But then you know the labor it, itself, and we, I think there's a you know there's a drywall robot, there's a rebar tying robot out there, and so we'll see more of those in the coming years. You know technology gets cheaper, right, more pervasive, and that you know Moore's law kind of an idea. I Think robotics will be big and we'll see sort of that notion of like labor will be augmented. I, I don't think it'll be replaced. I think a lot of people share that same opinion, but they'll definitely be augmented purely because it's it's needed. It's not necessarily a luxury at this point. It's like you can't keep building and putting up buildings and you know expecting your 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 skilled labor force to to, to work, you know, 60, 70 hour work, work weeks. I mean, they might they might love the OT, but you know at some point you burn out or it's a serious safety hazard You know, some kind of augmentation i think the robotics is going to be one uh, ai i think is another one Right, getting smarter at that that risk management part of it too we start to starting to see some really great solutions with ai and being more predictive whether it's a safety situation or a scheduling situation or a material which is a whole nother problem you know how are these jobs going to be impacted now with material shortages or even skyrocketing material costs. That's another element, but AI, robotics. And I think the third one is 3D printing, right? We'll see, um, you know, the, the ability, you know, prefab and 3D printing kind of combined will be, I'm sure a game changer. There'll be you know, ways where you get huge prefab shops now with a big ass printer sitting in there and you're prefabbing out, you know, whole, you know, piping systems um, or something, electrical systems and you're able to just ship it out, but it's all getting done faster, more modular there'll be some of that too. I think there's gonna be some of that. 5G will be probably the biggest one, I think. So kind of adding a fourth, right? What can we do now with, you know, virtual models in the field, on the job site, on the fourth floor, right? With, with, you know, name your goggle or your iPad or your tablet. I think there's gonna be some really interesting things around 5G that'll really continue to push a lot of that heavy, you know, we'll call dense data out further to the edge right? This is because it can't do it now. Either the bandwidth's not going to support it or the compute power is not there. But, you know, 5G will be, I think, a big catalyst to saying, look, can we unlock more of that compute power because we can actually stream a lot faster? Um, there'll be some big ones there, I think. So uh, more, I'm sure will develop and, you know, 5G is just coming out. So I'm really interested to see, you know, what kind of fi- what kind of solutions really start to capitalize on 5G.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that the the next decade of contact is, is going to be a pretty exciting time and probably strap on your seatbelt because it's going to be a wild and crazy ride. And <laughs> there's a whole lot that's going to happen in the next 10 years that we have no idea about yet, but <laughs> it's going to be an exciting time.
0: Well, it was like drones, right? Dr- I mean, 10 years ago, probably drones was barely a thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I remember back at the contractor, we were one of the first kind of you know, playing around with drones, but we, and the value was you know, getting on and off the job site faster. Right, And so, you know, what, what do we have now? We have drones everywhere. It's a almost commoditized to a degree. And that was a relatively short period of time, right? Exponential growth, we might throw around that term a yeah. lot, but yeah, innovation and disruptions moving faster and faster. Um, and yeah, it'll be, there'll be some pretty major shifts, I'm sure, uh, here in this sector in the next you know, five years or so.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more about what you're doing?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, you can reach me um, at my uh, email address, which is ksuhu at ignite.com. Happy to talk about, you know, more about what we're up to uh, with sort of the mitigation of ransomware. How do we continue to maximize your contents, right, On your, which is basically your project documents. But, yeah, I'd love to have those conversations. Um, also, reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll, I'll send, I guess, we've, I'll send you the
1: URL or something like that. Yeah, offer. we can. Post it in the okay. show notes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, those are probably the two best ways to, to get a hold of me. But as, as, as Todd, you said, you know, been, been part of this industry for 15 years. There's much more to be done. And, you know, I think the journey with Ignite is really, is really interesting. We're, we're really thinking about building that digital foundation, if you will, so that you can have all your things flow through it, um, protect it as one sort of single pane of glass, um, share it accordingly. And, uh, you know, get on, get on, get through your jobs more successfully. Reduce the errors and rework.
1: Nice. Well, last question for you. What does innovation mean to you?
0: Innovation means doing something differently that we did before so that somebody can go home at a decent time. This this is a people industry, right? Until robots can take over, which I I still don't think this is going to be the case, but this is a people industry. So innovation has to be around enabling the trade worker the pms the operations folks everyone safety folks everyone involved to doing their, doing their job in a more you know efficient faster manner so either they can take on more work or they can get home at a decent time or that we can be more safe and make sure everyone goes home with five fingers ten fingers and ten toes
1: mm. i love it yeah at the end of the day you're exactly right it's a to people first industry and it needs to, that needs to stay the focus. I love that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Kevin. I enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me.
1: And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take playing off of last week's episode with Corey Burchard, always be curious. If you look to other industries that have experienced similar trend lines and trajectories as construction, you will be able to find ways to improve with lessons learned without having to experience the same degree of pain. Second take, when it comes to data strategy, take time to truly think through how you are using and leveraging data to work smarter and more efficiently. All data is not created equal. Some is more valuable to know and protect. And finally, sadly, ransomware isn't a matter of if, but when nowadays. What is your recovery and resiliency strategy for when an attack takes place? Make sure you know the answer. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant. Thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright applied software 2021.